worship team. Um, As you guys know, we are in a sermon series. We're studying through the book of Acts together, and we're calling this sermon series One, but it comes in a few different movements, and the first movement of the series is talking about the one church that God has established on earth. So we are in the beginning, one church. See, when God started his church, Back in Jerusalem around 30 AD, there was political division. There was fear for health and safety of the lives of God's people. There was racial tension among the Jewish and the Gentile followers of Jesus. There was poverty. There was wealth. And in the midst of all that, the Jesus followers had to say, what does it mean for us to be the church in this context? So what we think is maybe if we read about the church long ago and how they faithfully followed Christ, maybe, just maybe, that their experiences might inform us as we follow Christ today. I want to ask a question that I'm just going to kind of lay over the top of the sermon for the day and kind of plant a seed in your minds right now. But the question comes from a little story. See, Uh, Micken's grandma, we always called her Gigi, she had this little saying, and I remember one time we were at her house, and Naomi, my now four-year-old, was just full of energy. She was running around, she was laughing, she was yelling, full of energy, as little kids are often do in their lives. And Gigi looked at Naomi and said, she is really full of it today, (laughs) And later, I said to Mick, and I was like, full of it? Is it? What did she mean when she said Naomi was full of it? See, when I say that somebody's full of it, what I usually mean is they're lying to me, or they're deceiving me, or, you know, we could probably use some other words to describe what we mean when we say someone's full of it. But Gigi, what she meant is that Naomi was full of energy, was full of life, was full of enthusiasm. And so since that time, and it turns out that that phrase has been used in their family many times, since that time, I've had this recognition, one phrase, full of it, with two different meanings, one positive, one negative, one that meant joy and life and energy, and one that means deception or different wrong and vile things. So as, we th- as I think about those two meanings of this phrase, here's the question I want to ask you today. Are you full of it? And I just kind of want to lay that out, and I want your brain to be thinking about it a little bit as we go into the text that we're going to read today. If you want to open your Bibles, uh, we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 5, will be in verses one through 11, but let me briefly recap where we've been. You may recall, Jesus gathered his disciples together after he had died and risen again, and he said, here's what you guys are going to do. You, my followers, you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to witness about me to the whole earth, starting where you're at in Jerusalem, and then expanding until all people from all nations and all languages, might hear about the good news that God 
has loved us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the mission Jesus gave his church. But then he said, don't go there right away. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. And then once it's filled you, we see that the church devoted themselves to the core practices. They devoted themselves to scripture, to community, to generosity from God, and then out for others, and to prayer. And so what we've said is that if we're going to be the one church, God's church on earth, and if we're going to do that, learning from the church in the book of Acts, then we're going to be a people empowered by the Holy Spirit and devoted to Scripture, community, generosity, and prayer. Well, almost immediately we see this community starting to explode with all of these forms of generosity, of being God's presence on earth. And one of the things that the community does is a few of the wealthier people in the group, they take some land. We don't know exactly what that means. Maybe it was a second home. Maybe it was a vineyard. But they take some land and they sell it. And they bring all the profits of selling their land. I mean, think about if you sold a a home or a piece of property you had We're talking a a pretty big chunk of money. And so people had started selling their land and bringing it all and laying it at the feet of the apostles and saying, take this money and use it to meet the needs of anybody in our community, however is necessary. The Jesus followers were expressing radical generosity. They were sharing the good news of Christ and thousands of people were becoming followers of Jesus. And with that background, we transition now to Acts chapter 5 and the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You can open there in your own Bibles. Otherwise, I'm going to read now from the words on the screen. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later... His wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these 
events. And I would add that as a preacher who's committed to preaching from God's word, great fear has seized me when I decided I was going to preach this text, because I'll be honest, this is a messy story. Like, what in the world are we supposed to make of this story? Actually, I was meeting with a preaching team, and uh, John Harden, one of our preaching team members, jokingly said, Carl, you should save this story for the next church capital campaign. That's a great idea. (laughs) But instead, we're preaching through Acts, and this is a critical story. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack a couple of the really uh, hard questions that come up after we read this. And then we're going to come back around to land on what I really feel is the focus of this story for my life and for your life today. So the first question that can come out of listening to this story is, wait a minute, wait a minute, is the point of the story that we all have to sell our property and give it all to the church no matter what? I mean, if they sold the property, did an act of great generosity and held back just a little bit, and there were consequences for, for, for that? Well, what are the implications for us? So, what is this teaching us about our finances and our generosity? Let me just make a couple of observations. First of all, let's already remember that the majority of people in the church didn't have land to sell. There was only a few people in the Christian community who even could have had some property that they could have sold and given generously to the church. So we're talking here about what a few people did. And on top of that, it does not say that everybody sold whatever property they had. Rather, a few people were led to to act with extravagant generosity, taking their abundance and giving abundantly to the church. So whatever conclusions we draw financially are conclusions we draw from what a few people, what one way a few people have expressed radical generosity. But the second thing to notice is actually the words of Peter make it abundantly clear that the fact they kept the money was actually just fine. Peter said to them, after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? The implication is, Ananias, Sapphira, it was your money. Nothing said you had to give it all to the church. You could have kept it. You could have kept some of it. You could have kept all of it. So the first thing we want to clarify is that keeping the money was not the error of Ananias and Sapphira. This text, while it makes clear that generosity is important, the teaching is not that we're never allowed to keep any money of of any profits. And experience makes this abundantly clear as well. I mean, the church then, clearly people had money that they were using to live their lives. They had homes where the church was meeting. That's not the point of the story. Second thing that can kind of come up is, okay, hold on. So whatever they did do wrong, why is it that they fell dead because of what they did wrong? Is the point of the story that if ever I'm greedy or I inappropriately withhold money, is is the point of the story that I might risk death because of that? The text said, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Well, we talk all the time about how when we read something in Scripture and it makes us go, wow, that's really strange. What do I do with that? 
what we always do is we look in other places throughout Scripture and say, what happened here, do we see the same thing happening in other places? We let Scripture interpret Scripture. Well, clearly, Ananias and Sapphira were afflicted by some sort of greed, but it's not just their greed. It's the fact that their greed led them to intentionally lie. The emphasis of the story is that they conspired together so as to purposefully lie to Peter about how much money was there. It's not that they kept some money. It's that they sought to deceive the leaders of the church. And if the church really is a fellowship so close, it's like a family, it's basically they set out to lie to their family members. Well, if we look throughout Scripture, do we find that everywhere somebody is greedy and that causes them to lie, do we find that they always die from that? In fact, no. We find that greed is consistently condemned in Scripture. We find that deception, deceit, hiding things in our heart is always condemned in Scripture. But we find plenty of stories where people do these wicked things Their hearts lead them to make wicked choices, and they don't die. So, the next thing we can clarify is death is not the normal result of selfishness or deception. And our experience in our own lives confirms that to be true as well. I regret to admit, and I bet you would do the same, that I've lied about things. I've deceived before. I've even had moments in my life where I've thought, oh, I I know this isn't right. I know this is good, but I think I'm going to make this wrong choice. And I'm still around. So here's what I think we should learn. We talked about it last week. Miracles, miraculous events, and by miracles, we simply mean outside the realm of normal everyday experience, something that wouldn't have otherwise normally happened. Miracles often show up at particular times in the history of the church in order to demonstrate particular messages in the church. And so I think the death of Ananias and Sapphira is meant to emphasize the critical importance of honesty and authenticity in our church community relationship. To put it another way, it's, it's putting an exclamation point on something you and I already know, deception is disastrous. And I mean, think about it for a second. Think about a time in your life when for whatever reason, in your heart, you thought, you know what? I'm going to conceal something. I'm going to deceive. I'm going to purposefully lie to somebody. And let me ask you, did you walk away from that going, oh man, life is so much better now. My relationships are less complicated. I feel good internally. I feel good in my relationship with my spouse or my friend. Have you ever felt that? No, because when you deceive people, you feel the negative consequences internally and your relationships always suffer because we know that deception is always disastrous. And this story of Ananias and Sapphira, however painful or strange it might sound, it teaches us something that I think experientially you and I and really most people recognize That this simply is not a valid way to go forward in community and in relationship with one another. So, if 
the key point is not so much about finances. And if the death of Ananias and Sapphira is an exception, that's not the normal uh, experience we have. And if it's making a broad point about how deception is disastrous, what what should we, what is the the kind of critical lesson that we should draw out of this? And to answer that, I want to go back to the very first thing that Peter said when Ananias came and put some money at Peter's feet. This phrase that Peter used just all week as I've been reading and praying about and preparing for this sermon, all week this one phrase has just kept coming back to my mind and, and weighing on my heart. So here's what Peter said. Ananias laid the money down. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money? What Peter is saying is kind of interesting because Peter, what Peter is emphasizing is not so much the act in itself. The act was wrong, but what Peter was saying is that the cause of their deception was the content of their heart. And this is one of the really radical teachings that we see throughout Scripture. We see this idea that whatever words you choose to speak, whatever decisions you make and actions you take in your life, every single one of them, whether an action for good or an action for evil, whether an action of wisdom or an action of folly, every single choice and word and deed in your life can be connected to the contents of your heart. Jesus spoke about it. He said, if you make a tree good, then its fruit will be good. But if you make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad. See, because good, healthy trees produce good, healthy fruit. And rotten trees produce rotten fruit. So here's the question that I think you and I need to ask if we want to live our lives following Christ just like the church in Jerusalem did. The question we have to ask is, what is filling your heart? What is filling my heart? This idea that our hearts, our lives, our very being is filled by something, we see it all throughout Scripture. Let me show just a few examples. The Apostle Paul, he was writing to the church in Ephesus, and he said to them, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Or again, in the same letter, Paul was praying for the church, and he said, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight filled with the fruit of righteousness. Or again, Jesus. When Jesus was talking about the new and abundant life that he desires to give you, Jesus said, I have said these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And the word Jesus used for complete is the same as the word filled. So what's God's desire in your life? If it's true 
that Ananias and Sapphira, their hearts were filled with evil. The text said Satan has filled their hearts. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's clearly not a good thing. If the teaching is that our lives can be filled with evil to evil results or filled with good to good results, then time and time and time and time again, we get this message. Fill your life with God's Spirit. But we also have to pause and acknowledge that in as much as we desire to have our lives filled by God's presence and God's Spirit, there's a lot of other things out there in the world that will fill our lives if we're not intentional about getting them filled by God. Again, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, warns against what we all know can happen in life. He talks about how people have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. For as much as we long for our lives to be filled by the Holy Spirit with the life of God, we also experience that our lives and the desires of our hearts can be filled with all sorts of greed or selfishness or wickedness. The question that we asked up front, are you full of it? The answer, obviously, is yes. Yes, we are all full of it. The critical distinction is, what, in fact, are we going to be filled with? Are we going to be filled with deception or every kind of wickedness? Or are we going to be filled with the abundant life that Christ desires to give us? I remember um, working at Camp Nathaniel long ago, as I always did. Uh, One of the chores that we had to do every few weeks uh, was we had to bring the slop buckets from the dining hall down the road to the pig farm uh, just next door to our camp. See, every meal at summer camp, every single person would bring their plates after the meal and they'd scrape all the leftover food into these big five-gallon buckets. And you can imagine couple hundred kids every single week, we'd get a lot of buckets full of a lot of gross slop. But the pigs loved the slop. And so it was always a two-person job. The two people would get all the buckets and they'd haul them and they'd put them on a big trailer. And then one person would drive the tractor while the other person sat on the trailer trying to make sure that the slop buckets didn't spill over while we drove down the bumpy gravel road. And I remember one time when we did rock, paper, scissors, and I lost, and I had to be the guy sitting on the trailer with the slot buckets. And no matter how well the cellophane had covered them, and no matter how much I tried to balance them all, you know what happens if you ride on a trailer with a bunch of buckets filled with slop? The, the slop spills and splashes onto your clothing. And you know what that smells like? Not good. It is not a pleasant smell. It seeps into the fibers of your clothes to the point that when, we, when I got back, I didn't even go to the cabin. I didn't go anywhere. I just went straight to the wash house. I threw the t-shirt away, got in the shower, and scrubbed to get the stench off of me. See, if you have a bucket 
filled with pig slop, the stink is going to spill out on the people around it. I have another memory, kind of equal but the opposite direction. The first, the first story was about pig slop. The second story is about aid stations. Uh, if you've ever run a, a race, you know, like a, a, a local 5K, you've gone out to do the turkey trot, you know that when you come to an aid station, it's just one of the most enjoyable things ever. They managed to get these incredible volunteers who wake up at insanely early hours of the morning to fill little paper cups with water and lay them all out with some snacks and the water and some ice. And then these wonderful volunteers, they just shout and laugh and yell and cheer and encourage people on all day long. I remember one race I was running and it was late in the race and I was just feeling beat down, tired, exhausted, hot, and I came up to an aid station. And the workers at this aid station were so full of encouragement. And then on top of it, one of the workers was holding a full bottle of icy cold Gatorade. And I was like, can I have the bottle of Gatorade? And they were like, yes! And they handed it to me, and I drank it. And the cold liquid, plus the shouts and the encouragement of the people, it's like the aid station was filled with the positive energy that I needed to keep running. And because it was filled with so much good, that spilled over onto me and helped me significantly finish that run. Here's the point. Whatever your life is full of will spill out onto others. If you've allowed in your life, if you've allowed the bucket of your life to get filled with pig slop, with things that are kind of stinky and gross. And we know that there's more than enough of that in the world around us to easily and quickly fill up our lives every day. If you've allowed your life to get filled with pig slop, do you know what you're going to spill over onto the lives of others? You're going to spill over all the stench that comes with it. But if you can get your life filled with a kind of encouragement and abundance that Jesus talks about, then that abundance is what will spill over onto others around you. So let's bring it back around to the final question. As we are a church committed to following Christ, committed to being empowered by the Holy Spirit, devoted to Scripture, community, generosity, and prayer, as we're desiring to do that together, even as so much in the world around us is changing, there's a question that we absolutely must ask ourselves. What fills you? What is filling up the bucket of your life today? We can acknowledge that there's more than enough pig slop, wickedness, deception, greed, evil, division in the world around us. More than enough of that to fill up our buckets every day. The question is, Are we purposefully seeking the Spirit of God, like a a hose of fresh water pouring into that bucket so that over time, if I pour that water consistently enough every single day, we know beyond a doubt that the fresh water will wash out, wipe away, and completely eliminate anything and everything filthy in our lives. So here's my challenge to you. In this week's... um, 
study guide. If you haven't grabbed one before, uh, I'd encourage you, grab one of the previous week's one, grab this one. I know that some individuals are doing it just sort of as a personal reflection. I know some of our small groups and even a couple families have been engaging the study guide. I'd encourage you, grab this week's study guide. And here's the question it's going to ask you. How are you purposefully seeking to fill your life with God's Spirit so that you can wash out any filth that you're experiencing? And here's what I'd invite you to consider. Like we've kept coming around to these four core practices. Is there one of these practices this week that you should devote yourself to all the more so that God's Spirit might be daily pouring fresh water of new life into the bucket of your life and cleansing out anything and everything of filth. What fills your life? Would you pray with me? God, we confess that too often we do allow our hearts to be filled with things that are not good for us, not good for our relationships, not good for the world around us. Scripture calls that all sin, and we confess that too often sin is the content of our heart. But in our confession, we come to you and say, Christ, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for all of our sins and our unrighteousness? And then, God, we pray, may we be devoted to the things that get your Holy Spirit abundantly pouring into our lives so that it just spills over naturally every single day. Give us that desire. Give us that commitment. Not that it's all about us doing the right thing for you, but rather it's about us opening our arms up so that your power might be abundant and overflowing in our lives. Fill us, God. Fill us, we pray, with your Holy Spirit. Amen.